You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the privilege that you have given us to gather together, to um, to worship with one another, to um, to spend time in prayer with each other, to uh, hear from the scriptures together. Uh, God, I just pray that you would come, uh, that you would center our focus on you, that you would help us to hear from you, that you would open our hearts and our minds, that you would give us a deep desire for you, that you would increase our hunger and our thirst for you. And that you would just fill us with your spirit. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. So we're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We'll be in verses 28 through 25 this morning. And I want to start by saying that one of my, one of my deep desires um, in ministry is is to see people grow closer to Jesus and, uh, and to help people experience uh, the power of changed lives as well as uh, to equip people to basically like set the world on fire with the proclamation of the gospel, right? Like, I mean, like those three things seem to be so intertwined for me in terms of just passion and desire for ministry and for people. And I just, and I think this is a, this is just a big central theme throughout God's word and throughout the gospels as well. And, and then like when you get into the book of Acts, man, you kind of see that taking place. You see people who encounter Jesus and draw close to him. And you see their lives radically transformed and changed. And because of that intimate connection with Jesus and because of that radically transformed, changed life, then what happens is they do. They wind up setting the world on fire with the gospel. And, um, and that's, that's, that's kind of the big idea for, for, for us today that I think uh, should be on the screen for you. Um, it's something that I want us to kind of just wrestle with and think about um, from maybe just different angles as we look through this passage. I believe this passage is going to kind of help to teach us this. But that big idea is just simply this. The intimacy with Jesus is a life-changing experience that sets us on fire with the gospel. So, um, so to kind of help us get there and to help us move that direction, I, I want you to stop for a minute. If you have to close your eyes, you can do that and close your eyes. I want you to think about some of these questions I'm going to ask you. And if you want, and like maybe you're a writer or a note-taker, you want to write them down, that would be cool too. You can do that. But here's some of those questions. Like, how, how, I mean, We're getting ready to eat a potluck here in an hour, right? Um, what, what do you think would happen? Um, how, how do you think your life would be impacted or changed if, if Jesus came walking to the room physically and sat down at that table with you here in a little bit and ate that meal with you? Let's just think about that for a second. Just let, the, let that thought flow through your, your mind and your heart. Like what, what would really happen to you when you, when, you, when you get up and leave here in a couple of hours after we eat that meal, if that happened today, 
If he physically walked in and sat down at this table with you, had a meal with you, how would this change your life from this point forward? Dads, how would this change your life in terms of engaging with your kids when you go home this afternoon? Young single guys, how would this change your life in terms of how you relate to the opposite sex or to your computer screen? How would it change that, you know? Moms, how would this, how would this, if Jesus came in and sat down at this table with you right now, broke bread with you, had a drink with you, had a conversation with you physically in the person, and then how would that change you going home as you parent your kids or as you, um, as you engage your spouse if you're married? Think about it from, an, a, from the standpoint of a, the shoes of an employee. If you're an employee and you work somewhere, how would you engage your boss from this point forward after encountering Jesus that way? Like what, what would change in your life? If you're a teenager and you're in the room, how would this maybe change the way that you um, engage your school campus, your friends there, and some of the really heavy, hard topics that we have to, to deal with today, right? <coughs> I think that's, that's really the big overriding question for me today, is that if you actually had this kind of an intimate uh, encounter with Jesus, physically sitting at your table, then what kind of life change would happen for you? And then coming out of that, what kind of fire would that ignite in your life and through your life into the various um, places of society or culture or relationship, right, or responsibility? So my hope and my prayer for us today as we, as we study this passage, my hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit would bring all of us um, to a place where we draw closer to him in these moments. And that as we draw closer to him, that he would cause change to happen deep inside of our hearts, that he would change some of the things that you desire that he would change some of the ways that you think and that he would then change some of the ways that you behave from this point forward. And then, and then my prayer at the same time is that as we experience that kind of life change, that we would leave here changed, right? W which would mean that something would be ignited inside of us, a new kind of fire maybe, a new kind of desire maybe. Look at Luke 24, 28 through 35. Luke says, So they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour. 
and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So, seems like a fairly simple and straightforward story for us. This portion of our text is basically the second half of the story that Luke began to tell us last week about two disciples that were walking this seven-mile-long journey from Jerusalem to this little village called Emmaus, right? It's on Easter morning and or Easter day, and they are walking that journey right after watching the crucifixion on Friday and then getting the news that Jesus' body is missing that Sunday morning. They do not yet know that he's alive. They've heard that, but they have not believed that yet. For them, they've just witnessed the darkest day of all human history um, and then gotten this news that Jesus' body is uh, missing from the grave. For them, it's just been a couple of days um, where, where, where basically all of their hope had been crushed, okay? You put yourself in their shoes. We've all had one of those days, right, where your, all your hopes were crushed completely. This was that day for them. And I think as they walked this journey, they had slumped into a deep depression as they, as they walked. And that was the result of their hopes being crushed is that they had fallen into despair and depression, and then what happens in the midst of this is Jesus basically just kind of joins them in the midst of their journey, right? Joins them as they're walking down the road, and he joins them incognito or in disguise somehow. Something about the resurrected body that Jesus has that kind of gives him some sort of like superhuman <laughs> abilities and powers, which I think for me causes me to think about what it's going to be like after we are Resurrected and what heaven and eternity will be like without belaboring that for too long. Jesus comes, is incognito. They don't recognize him. Some sort of uh, divine providence, I think, from the Holy Spirit as Jesus' actual identity was hidden from their sight. I mean, a simple way of saying this is that these two disciples were simply blinded to the presence of Jesus. That's, I mean, that's what's taking place. And as Jesus engages these two depressed dudes, as he's walking down this road with them, he's, he's asking a series of questions is what's happening. Asks a series of questions to basically try to get to the root of their sadness, try to get to the root of their hopelessness. And then basically what happens is after he kind of peels back those, uh, those layers of the onion, um, Jesus um, then confronts their foolishness and their unbelief. Some of you might remember that from last week. Gets to that point to where he calls them foolish, tells them they are slow of heart to believe. Um, Jesus confronts that. And then, <clears throat> if you remember, he preaches through the entire Old Testament, right? Preaches through Moses and the prophets and I think even the Psalms and shows how all of the written scriptures at that time really pointed to 
the resurrection of Christ. I think we talked a lot last week about the way that we approach the scriptures and the Bible, that we oftentimes approach the scriptures with a very me-centered perspective, right? Like, what's Jesus going to say to me today? Um, how, how does this help me today? Those are great questions to ask, but uh, I think we get it backwards. We need to be approaching the scriptures from a, how does this point to Jesus and what does this teach me about Jesus um, and so that's exactly what Jesus does in the middle of the road with those two guys. His points preaches this sermon about how all of the scriptures really point to the message of the gospel, right? Which is the good news of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, signifying his power over Satan, sin, and the grave. And so the point of the scriptures is the gospel, and the point of the gospel is Jesus. So at its furthest, most logical end, Jesus is the hero, not you and I. Um, so that's what Jesus does last week. And, and I think uh, you might remember that in that first half of the story and in, in our time together last week, um, we, I think we were encouraged. At least I was encouraged. I don't know about you, but I was encouraged by this truth that, that when sadness stops us in our tracks, like when you face that horrifying day, could be a day where... Um, you lose someone close to you, could be a day where your sin is revealed to you, could be a day where you realize that you were heading in a direction that was taking you away from Jesus. It was that day where you were, uh, so to speak, blinded, you know what I mean? Walking in a bad direction maybe. But that day, whatever that day looks like for you, and I'm sure we've all had multiple days like that, um, when that day happens, when, when sadness stops us in our tracks on that day, and when our hopes, everything that we desired and wanted, and even furthermore thought we were going to get, okay? Because it's not just merely like looking ahead and going, man, I really wish I could have that. At some point, you actually begin to think, man, I, I think I might get that which I wanted. I mean, that's the story of the disciples here, is they, they really wanted to be free from Romans' oppression, or Rome's oppression, right? And they thought Jesus was going to come and set them free from that, but instead, he died on a cross. They thought they were going to get what they had always looked forward to, but they were looking at that in, in merely a physical sense. They were totally missing all of the spiritual implications of the gospel and how that should have radically changed them from the inside out. And so that's this moment, right? All their hopes are being crushed. We can be encouraged on that day when sadness stops us, our hope is crushed. In those moments, what we need is to be renewed by the truth of the gospel. We need to be renewed by the truth of the gospel and the point of the gospel, who is Christ. And so, so at the end of last week, as we ended our study last week, we pick it up then this week, and the disciples and Jesus are all still standing in the middle of that road, walking down that road most likely at this point. And as we pick up this second half of the story, what does Luke tell us? It tells us that they drew near to that village. So they've completed their journey. They've gotten close to the village to which they were headed. And Jesus is basically going to keep on going as these two dudes stop. Um, but those disciples then urge him strongly. I, I love that phrase uh, in the first couple of verses. When they urge him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. And so Jesus went in to stay with them. 
which kind of brings this for me to, to point number one of what's happening in this text. Um, these disciples invite Jesus into their home. Pretty basic and simple move. And they didn't know who Jesus was. They didn't know that this guy that's talking to them was actually Jesus, right? Um, in the beginning of the story, uh, these guys thought that they kind of had the corner on the market in terms of sad stories. Remember that at the beginning? And they, their response when Jesus came up, he's like, yo, what are you guys talking about? What's going on? And, and these guys are like, well, you haven't heard what's going on? Like, we just faced the most horrible day of our lives. Let us tell you about that. And then later he's like, well, let me tell you all about that. I mean, the reality is Jesus faced that firsthand and experienced that firsthand. And I think, that what, I think that what we see in this as these disciples invite Jesus into their home, I just think we just see Jesus and all of his kindness despite these guys and their, decept their deception and their, their blindness. I mean, think about that. These guys have no stinking clue who he is. He knows. Like, he could have just beat him over the head, right? Like, you pff, idiots, right? Why don't you recognize me? Why don't you see me? He didn't do that. He served them so well. He loved them in his kindness in these moments as he brought them along. I think in the midst of their grief, I think that what these disciples did is they responded to Jesus' prior rebuke, his rebuke where he's like, hey, you are foolish and unbelieving. And they respond to that rebuke and his gospel preaching as he preaches through the Old Testament they respond to that by inviting him into their home so they could spend more time with him. As you look at this, what this is is a reminder to us in the scriptures of how we should respond to the revelation of Jesus in our lives. Jesus doesn't just come and just, bam, like reveal everything about himself to you in one moment. If he did... I think you and I might die. It's very possible. Um, Jesus reveals himself little bit by little bit to us, and I think our responsibility is to respond to that little bit by little bit and continue responding to that little bit by little bit by little bit because the journey is a step-by-step -step process, right? So I think Jesus in his kindness um, does this for these guys. He does that for us by the power of the Spirit. And these guys, they just, they just invite Jesus into the more intimate places of their lives. It's basically what they do. Uh, to invite someone into your home is an intimate place. You don't just invite anyone into your home unless you're irresponsible. Okay? You're careful about who you invite into your home. You're careful about who you invite to be around your children if you have children. And the reason for that is because your home is a very intimate and private place, right? And in this passage, I think what we see happening is we see these guys just inviting Jesus right into some of the most intimate places of their lives. Total stranger. And then number two, um, the second thing that we see in this passage is the disciples actually recognize Jesus in verses 30 through 32. This is that moment where the blinders are lifted, right? I once was blind, but now I can see. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was alienated from God, but now I am his son or daughter. I once was an enemy of Christ, but now I'm part of the family. I just think you see all of those implications in these moments when these disciples recognize Jesus. What Jesus has been doing in this, in this whole passage, what Jesus has been doing is he's been speaking the truth of the gospel into these two disciples' hearts who were completely blinded to the truth of the gospel at that moment, completely blinded to the presence of Jesus in those moments. And Jesus continued to patiently speak and to preach the truth about himself to them. So the dead hearts would come to life, right? Because Jesus did this, he was drawing them into his presence like the best fisher of men that ever walked the face of the planet. Luke says, when he was with them at table, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were open and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. Poof, gone. Right, like Superman or something. I don't know. <laughs> Breaks the bread. They recognize him. And then boom, he's gone. I don't know what the significance of that is. Except for I can just like, I think I see some of Jesus' sense of humor maybe. Now you see me, now you don't. You know? <laughs> I don't know. I can't wait to ask you about that one, though. But why didn't you vanish right after they were able to see you? Maybe it was Jesus' way of making a point. You ever think about that? Like maybe Jesus is just making his exclamation point at the end of the sentence there by vanishing, right? Think about it. The whole time, he's been preaching the gospel to these guys, right? And as soon as they recognize him, holy crap, that's Jesus. Boom, gone. Oh, my gosh. That was Jesus. Well, what do they do? Well, Luke tells us that after he vanished from their sight, they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? You imagine that moment. Explanation point at the end of the sentence, right? Right hook at the end of the sermon, maybe? I don't know. However you want to look at this, like, I think it's fantastic. I think Jesus is the best public speaker ever. Can you imagine, you imagine these disciples? Can you relate to maybe where they're at, maybe even in this moment? Feel their excitement? Ever have that moment of mind-blowing epiphany where it's like, whoa, that, that's what Jesus has been saying all along. Where you realize that, where you recognize that, you know, where the light bulb goes off, where the, where the spiritual clutter like starts to dissipate for you and suddenly the light is shining on everything, right? That's this moment. <laughs> like imagine with me, belabor this a few seconds longer just to give the spirit time to... Uh, cause you to think about this moment because I think there may be some of you that are here that need to have this moment now. Some of you that have maybe been walking through having this moment in the last couple of weeks. So on one side, for those of you that need to have this moment now, I want to give the Spirit the opportunity to do that. And for those of you that have been having those moments, 
Give the Spirit the opportunity to encourage you in having those moments, right? Because this is His work. I imagine just experiencing the most horrific day of your life. You're confused and worn out. You're afraid, questioning everything in life. And then in walks a stranger. Maybe even a friend. Or maybe your pastor. <laughs> or maybe one of your kids. Sometimes my kids walk in and say things that blows my mind. Maybe it was Bob and Larry from VeggieTales, like Dave was talking about earlier, right? In walks that person, that character, gently begins to ask questions of you, firmly rebukes your foolishness and your unbelief, preaches the gospel, explains the gospel to you uh, again, and then like in a single moment, Snap of the fingers, right? Some simple act, something happens. In this context, Jesus breaks bread. And then in that moment, Christ, right? In all of his resurrection power, all of his choke-slamming Satan activity, right? All of his sin-killing, death-defying, life-giving power. Christ, in all of that splendor, is revealed to you in a moment. That's a, that's a life-changing moment, right? What do you do? What do you do with a moment like that? Number three... We see what the disciples do. And disciples spread the good news about Jesus, right? How could they not? Like, some of my favorite things on the face of this earth are commentaries and cigars. <laughs> hey, I didn't say favorite people. I said things. People supersede things. So... Some of my favorite people are all of y'all. <laughs> Pass the test, right? All right. So some of my favorite things on the face of this planet are commentaries and cigars. And um, one of the folks here <coughs> told me the other day that we had received a package in the mail for the church. And uh, I had been... I get a commentary set that comes one by one. Um, every couple of months or so, I'll get it. And, uh, but then I also have another pastor who has promised to send our leadership team a box of cigars. And, and so she was explaining the size of it and stuff. And everybody else that was in this conversation was immediately thinking commentary. And, uh, and I was like, I think it might be cigars. She goes, no, I think it's commentary. And I was like, oh. And everybody there was like, oh, so we see which is more important now. <laughs> so I learned something new about myself. <laughs> Point of that story is this. When you've been looking forward to something, right? You've been looking forward to something happening. And then it happens and it catches you by surprise. What do you do? You talk about it, right? 
and just so you know, it is a commentary. It's a commentary on 1 Corinthians. <laughs> <laughs> written by written by the reformers you guys know like I love the reformers right but something happens in your life that uh, that you've been looking forward to that you've hoped in that you've wished would happen and that happens talk about it that's what these disciples did as soon as they recognized Jesus man they don't wait around Right? Like they're not sitting there on their hands. They don't hide behind like their own little personal charade of their own personal private religion that belongs to me and nobody else. Reminds me of that blog post about the personal relationship with Jesus being an absolute heresy. Uh, we'll just stay away from that, but now it's out there, right? Um, they don't do that. Instead, man, they jump up from the table immediately that same hour. Isn't that what you and I do, right? When something we've been hoping for to happen happens, we jump up and we pursue that thing. You ever see a dog with a rabbit? I got dogs at my house and we put them outside on their chains. And every time a rabbit or a bird or a squirrel or a petite little kid <laughs> comes running through. <laughs> the dogs are yapping all over the place and running all over the yard like schizophrenic chickens. <laughs> because they're excited, right? <laughs> That's what these disciples are doing, man. I don't know about the schizophrenic chickens piece, but... <laughs> and they got up that same moment and they're off, right? They're running. They're not staying there. They're not sitting in it, they're not hiding, they're not pretending, they're not ignoring, they're motivated. It's like fuel in the tank. The motivation for them is this. They just encountered Jesus in the most intimate way you could possibly encounter him and they had a life-changing experience where the blinders came off from their eyes and they could see clearly for the very first time. It's motivational, isn't it? That puts gas in the tank, right? Got them back on the road. I imagine these two disciples running as fast as they can down that seven-mile stretch straight back to Jerusalem. Imagine this. Think about this. You want to think about this in terms of repentance. There's an implication of repentance here. Okay, there's an implication. It's not explicit in the text, but there's an implication. They run back the opposite direction. They once were headed this way, and as soon as the blinders come off, they run that way. Follow me? Ran the opposite direction. Why? Because they were motivated by the truth of the gospel, right? They were motivated by the fact that their eyes were no longer blind. It's almost like they've been given new hearts in those moments. Some commentators do argue through this text, uh, tell you scholars land on different sides for this one. Like the question always is, the question is this, were these disciples saved? Were they Christians previous to the moment when their blinders came off? I'll tell you where I land. But let me tell you, scholars land in two different places. They land on one place. Well, either A, they were very, 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 very mature and uber-weak Christians because they could not recognize Jesus, right? Or, or they just were not Christian whatsoever because they did not recognize Jesus. 
until that moment when they did recognize him. And in that moment, their hearts were changed. They were regenerated, which means to be brought back to life. In that moment, they trusted in him and they were justified before God. And, and then from that point forward, their lives were radically different. Radically different, right? So, so that's where you see the scholars land on two different sides of that. And I... Like, I probably flip-flop back and forth, which I think is okay because I don't think it's a salvation issue in terms of what you believe about this. I tell you today, as I think about this text, as I look about it, I kind of land in that place. Like, these guys had some of the right language. They had some of the right look. They've been hanging out with some of the right people, right? Been going to some of the right social parties and social clubs, whatever. I'm not sure that these guys were Christians until they recognized Jesus that day. That's just where I'm at. And that's the moment that I wish for... For many people to have that moment where you recognize Jesus for the first time, and then from that point forward, you walk differently, and you walk in a completely different direction than you walked before. And then that becomes the process of your life, is that you continue to encounter Jesus in the intimate places of your life, in, in the places of your fear, in the places of your desire, in the places of your um, sin, in the places of your joy, in the places of your hope, that you would encounter him there, and then out of that, that he would continue to radically transform you the way that you think, the way that you desire, the way that you act and behave, and that, and that coming out of that, your life would just be on fire with the proclamation of the gospel. That, that would be what happens in our lives. I imagine with these guys, you, you could just see a marked change. Right? Just a marked change in these guys' lives as they gathered with the rest of God's people back in Jerusalem after running back that seven miles. I think that first meeting could arguably be called the first gospel community gathering ever. That's what I think. Part of the reason that I believe that is because central to that first gathering when these two disciples ran back to old Jerusalem central to their table conversation was the resurrection of Christ the central conversation for them in community was not woe is me poor pitiful me or whatever their central conversation was the of Jesus who's been resurrected. That central proclamation of the gospel in that first gospel community gathering was this. Man, the Lord has risen. He has risen indeed, right? He met us on the road and he preached the scriptures to us and he, he revealed himself to us in the breaking of bread. Like that was the central message of that gospel community gathering. So you think about where you're adding gospel community throughout the week. Like, what is the centrality of the message there for you? Me-centered or Christ-centered? You know, families, dads, moms in the room with kids. What do your conversations look like with your kiddos? Is the name of Jesus being lifted high there? Is the resurrection of Christ being promoted as the central thread and the most important thing that you could talk about? Friends, as you get together, 
when you talk about most, like favorite TV shows, favorite pickup trucks, favorite fishing spots, favorite guns, favorite knives, cool, fine, it's awesome, but can I just ask you, what about the centrality of the gospel lighting you on fire to meet with one another? What about that? Talking about that. That's what we see here. But simply put, in this kind of this final move of this story of these two disciples and Jesus, and Jesus reveals his resurrection power to them, basically through the spiritual provision of preaching, right, on the road. That was what burned in their hearts was his preaching. Uh, and then also the reminder of the connection, I think, between the broken bread and his broken body. I think that there's definitely an implied connection there towards the end of the text, for sure. Um, and I think there's also a connection between this breaking of bread and physical provision, <clears throat> like the physical provision of manna to the Israelites in the Old Testament. Um, and so what Jesus does, he's revealed himself to these disciples, not only through physical provision, but also through spiritual provision. And so the question for us becomes, like, how does this passage help us out? Now that we understand all these things about this text, now that we have learned those things, how is this most helpful to us as we wrap this up as we get ready to walk out the door, as we get ready to eat an awesome potluck today together. I mean, and can I just say, like, pause bunny trail for a minute? That looks like a heavenly amount of food on that table back there. Like, I am looking for, and it smells so good. So good. Can't wait, right? It's going to be helpful to us when we go back there and get that food because it's going to fill our bellies and then we're all going to want long naps afterwards. <laughs> but how does this passage help us out? <coughs> Second half of this story of these two broken-hearted disciples walking this seven-mile journey to Emmaus, I think it's meant to teach us what I said earlier, big idea. Intimacy with Jesus is the life-changing experience that sets us on fire with the gospel. So let's take a minute. Ask a couple of questions. I'm going to be a little bit more into maybe uh, like inductive um, assessment type questions today. Question one, what intimate places of my life do I need to invite Jesus into? This is a question you need to be asking. It's a question we all need to be asking. What intimate places of my life do I need to invite Jesus into? Maybe think about intimacy as a topic for a minute. Intimacy is a really tough subject. Especially when we've experienced a lifetime of pain and brokenness and sin. Like the suffering that we experience in this life can unknowingly cause us to resist the honesty, the vulnerability, and the transparency that are needed to cultivate true closeness with one another. Like intimacy, I think by definition, intimacy, true intimacy, authentic intimacy is, is being known completely for all of your good, bad, and ugly, yet still being loved completely. And that, that kind of intimacy with Christ, that being known completely by him for all of our good, bad, and ugly, and still being loved completely in the midst of that, like that's where we find healing from our wounds. That's where we find wholeness for our brokenness. That's where we find the strength to repent from our sin. 
So, so, so what intimate places of, of my life do I need to invite Jesus into? What, what painful wounds do I need to invite him into so that I can receive healing? What broken places of my heart do I need to invite him into so that I can be made whole? What sinful patterns do I need to invite Jesus into so I can walk this road of repentance? What intimate places of my life, and for you, what intimate places of your life do you need to invite Jesus into? Question number two, what am I doing with the life-changing moments that Jesus gives me? What am I doing with the life-changing moments that Jesus gives me? Like when Jesus preaches the Bible on the road, and when he breaks bread in the home of these two disciples in our text, I think it's meant to remind us of the life-changing power of God's word and the life-changing power of the Lord's Supper, the life-changing power of the feeding of the 5,000 maybe, the life-changing power of the provision of daily manna in the Old Testament maybe which we might be reminded in these moments as I'm preaching and thinking that Jesus even said, man cannot live upon bread alone, but upon every word from the word of God. So physical provision isn't merely enough for you and I. That's the point. Jesus is that spiritual provision for us. The communion table, the, the study of scriptures, the preaching of God's word, God's daily physical and spiritual provision. And th these are all meant to cause our hearts to burn for him. That's what they're meant to do. And when we worship together on Sundays, when we do gospel community gatherings, when the scriptures are open in front of you, when we break bread and drink the juice together, when we eat a meal later in communion with one another, these are meant to cause our hearts to burn for Christ. Not to go, oh, wow, what a great gift I have for me to make me feel all good. And where it all becomes turned back around on me, right? It's meant to cause us to burn out of control in worship for Jesus. So the questions I began asking as I was thinking about that principle is like, does my heart come alive? Does your heart come alive to the cross of Christ when, when you participate in communion each week? Or is your participation in the breaking of that bread and the drinking of that juice, is that participation merely a religious activity for you? How often throughout the week do I spend time in Scripture? To the point to where my heart is actually inflamed with passion for Jesus. Not just the mere reading of a, of a devotional passage that day, but to the extent that my heart is burning and yearning for the presence of Christ. How often are you going there? It's been given to you. Is your heart attentive? This is my question for me too. Is my heart attentive to the preaching of God's word or has my heart become dull to the truth? Is your heart attentive to the preaching of God's word or, or is your heart become dull to the truth? Does the fire of desire for more of Christ burn out of control 
in light of his daily provision for me. A way to think about that is when, when you walk into your home and your lights are still on because you were able to pay the bill, does that provision that God has given you cause you to desire more of him or does it just cause you to think about the fat paycheck you make at work because you put all those hours in? See how easy it is for us to get off center, right? All those things are there for us to be reminded of Christ. Everything in front of us and everything in our lives is meant to remind us of Christ. I asked this question too when I was studying through like what, what happens in my heart when I recognize <laughs> when I recognize that Jesus has actually been there all along providing for my needs even though I've gotten so self-centered sometimes. You know what I mean? How, how life-changing is that for you? To just think about that for a minute. I just think these are some of the things that Jesus might say to us if he were sitting at the table with us here this afternoon eating this meal, right? Like, hey, I, I've actually been there all along. You just couldn't see me until now. I didn't stop providing for you just because you didn't recognize me. I was still providing for you. Every stinking breath of air that you and I take is a gift from God. Something as simple as a breath of air that you breathe. That's, that's God loving you and I in his kindness, right? So, what are you doing with those life-changing moments that Jesus gives you? It's very possible that you may be looking for something different and totally missing all the life-changing things that God has done for you. Like, I want that, right? You ever, you ever go shopping for dinner with uh, little kids? And if you haven't, you were at least a little kid once. You know how this goes, right? Like, we're going to Walmart because we are going to get some hamburger and some beans for chili. And immediately when you walk in, what happens? I want, that. I want honey buns, please. Right? Right? Totally, dis totally distracted. And then what happens? Like when they don't get the honey bun, they see the honey buns on the end of the aisle. Right? They see those honey buns on the end of the aisle everywhere throughout Walmart. I swear, they're everywhere. Right? The kids are like, please. And then when they don't get it, what do they do? Throw fit. What else? They pout, right? Stick the lower lip out. And here's the thing about for us adults, we're no different. We've just found much more mature ways of pouting, right? Sure. And, and what happens is like one of the things I always say to my kids and it's like, hey, you know what's happening right now is you're so focused on that freaking honey bun right there that you're missing you're missing what's coming your way. Like you're being provided for in these moments and you're totally missing that, right? You need that nutrition is what you need, and you're getting that, but you are so fixated on that. And that, by the way, that honey bun, tear you up anyways, just put fat on you so you shouldn't eat it anyways, right? But they taste so good, and I've had them before, and I love them. I know, I know, I get it. No, you can't have them. <laughs> you get chili. Damn, I hate chili. Come on. Right, that's, that's, that's the struggle we all go through. Every day when it comes to these life-changing moments that Jesus gives us. 
And then finally, number three, I think the question is this. Like, is your heart fired up with the proclamation of the gospel? It's a question I ask myself. Is my heart fired up with the proclamation of the gospel? Like, there are so many things I get fired up about, right? I already told you, cigars and commentaries are two of them. <coughs> Husker football, I get fired up about that. Argument with my wife can get me all fired up too, right? Because um, I lose. Uh, and I hate losing um, arguments. Uh, you know, opportunity for a new friendship maybe can, can get us all fired up. <clears throat> new job. Like, you guys may not think that I never think about a new job, but I do. Like, I'm no different than anybody else. Like, some days where I'm like, maybe I should drive a flat truck. Like a UPS truck. And I couldn't figure out why I heard so many times that so many pastors resigned from pastoral ministry and go drive UPS trucks. I then I finally figured it out. Oh, you're all by yourself. <laughs> you're all by yourself. And boxes can't talk back to you or resist you or talk trash, you know. That's <laughs> so funny. I was like, oh, I got now I know why I'm gonna go drive a UPS truck. And I think they make I think they make really good money too. So um, I think the benefits are a lot better than pastoral ministry <laughs> so yeah we all think about getting a new job sometimes right better paycheck better benefits whatever it may be that can get you fired up you're buying a new possession return of your favorite tv show on tv uh mine long-standing uh favorite tv show was 24 watched like 15 years of that or whatever it was and then this last uh, season here um, came back on after being gone for like 10 years so we were stoked man set our DVR we planned we made plans changed our lives radically right we were on fire about 24 like every week Chris and I would be syncing up hey we're gonna go to bed at this time get the kids in bed at this time so we can watch 24 it's kind of crazy sounds stupid but it got our attention consumed us right Talked about it. Hey, can you believe that character did this? Can you believe that happened there? We were on fire about a new TV show. <laughs> Another question I had to ask of myself as I'm looking at this is, am I as fired up about the proclamation of the gospel as I am some of these other things? Would my coworkers or my friends or my family or my acquaintances... Would they say that I'm as fired up about the gospel as I am those other things? Do I look for opportunities to share the hope of Christ with others? Am I so consumed with the good news of the gospel that it permeates my thoughts, my conversations, and my, and my meetings? Is my heart fired up with the proclamation of the gospel? The intimacy with Jesus, being close to Jesus, that is a life-changing, life-altering experience that is meant to set us on fire with the gospel. So the question for you and I as I leave us, the final questions, is like, what's stopping you from drawing closer to Jesus? What's stopping you from having that intimate relationship with him? What life-changing experience are you looking for? And in some regard, maybe missing out all the small life-changing experiences he's given you that were meant to actually sustain you. What is the narrative that permeates your daily life? Is that narrative, that story of your life, your thought patterns, is it controlled by pain or by fear, by brokenness or loneliness or deep, dark, shameful, secret sin? 
depression or guilt or confusion or addiction? Or have you come to a place where you want to draw closer to Jesus? Have you come to a place where you are experiencing the life-altering change that uh, happens in Christ's presence? Has your, has your heart been set on fire with the proclamation of the gospel? Let me pray. Father, I pray that you would take that last question about being on fire with the proclamation of the gospel. And I pray, Father, that you would just drill it deep. I pray that you would reveal places of our, our hearts and our lives where we have settled for something less than you. I pray that you would reveal places of our hearts and lives where we have cheapened our relationship with you. I pray, Father, that you would give us in these moments that experience of intimacy and closeness with you. Pray, Father, that you would use that to radically transform and change our lives and that you would then set each of us on fire with the proclamation of the gospel, the message that you created us, we went astray, we sinned, we made a mess, and you sent your son, not, not in some angry fit, like I can't believe they messed it up again, now I gotta send my son, but because you made that plan for our salvation. Wrote our names in a book, came, lived among us, didn't make us reach out to you, but you came and reached out to us first. Gave us the ability to reach out to you, gave us faith, gave us trust, opened our eyes so that we could see you. Helped us to be saved. Moved us from the camp of your enemies into the camp of your family. Changed our lives radically because of the power of the cross and the power of the resurrection. That for those that are here that have trusted in you, this is what you have done. And for those that are here that have not yet trusted in you, this is the promise of the gospel for us, that you will radically change lives. And then from that moment forward, you will set us on fire with the proclamation of the gospel. So, Father, I pray that you would lay up kindling and wood around hearts this morning and that you would ignite a fire of the gospel. And pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.